Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I'm John Fugelsang. This is Sirius XM Progress. You're listening to Tell Me Everything, the little show at What the Hell O'Clock. That brings good trouble to the right-wing bubble. And we're so glad to have you guys with us for the next few hours. We've got a great one tonight. Hello to all of our live listeners. We love when y'all call in. We are just like cable news, except we listen to you. And hi to everybody who listens on the app or on demand or on the Fuglesang podcast. Welcome to the Daywalkers. We love y'all. Please feel free to call in or send us your notes or your tweets or your angry threats. It's always a pleasure. Chris Hauseltz, our executive producer in the beautiful state of South Carolina. The great Thea Harper will be here for another edition of the Minority Report. And Keith Price returns. We got so much to cover. We're also going to talk with Ray Paget, who is a great music writer I've loved for years. He's done the show before. He's written books on Leonard Cohen, and he does the great website about cover songs. And he wrote a great book about the best cover songs of all time. He's put together a book where he interviewed uh, as many musicians who've been on stage performing with Bob Dylan as he could. And other people who've just worked with him, like Jeff Bridges, who coached him on acting in a movie they did together. It's a fascinating uh, read for any fan of classic rock or any fan of great artists and wondering how normal people act around them. We're really happy to have him as well. And as always, our most important guest is you guys. We are at 866-997-4748 for the next three hours. 866-997-GRIT. Let's do a show, shall we? I, I hope you guys are, are, are okay. I hope that you're taking care of yourself. Please, if you have air conditioning, use it. If you're terrified of the AC bill, use fans. Please check in on old people. Check in on animals. Um, July will be Earth's hottest month in recorded history, in case you needed to be told that. But scientists have declared it, and they have warned us the future will be worse than the July we are now wrapping up. We're only five days away from August, and the extreme weather going all across the globe hasn't just been deadly it's it's been very very expensive and it's going to continue into the new month um both the secret service and the metro dc police are preparing right now for donald trump to be indicted soon but not yet we are broadcasting live and recording this podcast on tape uh, Friday evening. And this was uh, the week we thought we'd see another indictment at the federal level. I guess we did, because last night they indicted him three more times. But on the last indictment, he was charged last night. We mentioned it in passing a new count of uh, retaining classified material. And it comes from this taped conversation about the Pentagon's plan of attack he was sharing at the Bedminster Golf Club in Jersey. See, Trump denied he had any classified documents with him after CNN published the recording, what, last month? 
it feels like five years ago. But the prosecutors are now saying, oh, no, he illegally had a presentation concerning military activity in a foreign country. And so yesterday, Trump and Walt Nauda, his aide, body man, henchman, whatever you want to call him, and a brand new defendant, bachelor number three, Mar-a-Lago property manager, Carlos de Oliveira. They got charged in yesterday's superseding indictment with two new counts of obstruction of justice. And, and the new charges are beautiful. They're based on the allegations that um, they discussed deleting surveillance footage per the boss. Uh, that would have kept it from the federal grand jury investigating Trump's handling of classified documents. That is obstruction of justice. That is a crime. But we all know you can have lots of obstruction of justice counts against Donald Trump. It doesn't mean anything's going to stick. We want to know what you guys think. We're at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Let's go to our friend Mitch from Kent State. Take me away. Thank you, John. Hey, by, by the way, I did my homework last night and uh, listened to The Lion and, and um, Cobra. You did and, it. Uh, you listened to Sinead O'Connor's first record. What's your review? You know what, John? It took me back to John Lennon's first album, the John Lennon, the, the first solo album with Lennon. That Plastic same Ono. vibe, I think. Yeah. I know it was her first album and all, but the, you could hear the, you know, the pain and the, and, and the, uh, uh, of course, you know, very political also. But uh, just yeah. uh, her, you know, personal, you know, we got to know her. You know, I guess yeah. we got to know her from that first album. That record and, is 36 uh, you know, years old this year, and it still sounds just ferociously alive every time I listen to it. And 36 years means she's been eligible, Mitch, for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for, I think, uh, 11 years. Um, they're just scared to induct her. Saturday Night Live has never apologized for banning her from the show. You know, uh, you know I, I, uh, and then, you know, God bless Chris Christopherson, you know, when he uh, yeah. gave her that, uh, in, in, you know, endorsement there. And uh, I just, uh, you know, I, I just, I'm so, you know, I'm so, I'm catching up, John. I'm really catching up. But, uh, you know, the song Jackie and uh, the Hands on Me, I mean, just some great tunes there. And, and, the, yeah. and the music, I mean, uh, not just the words, but the music uh, just enhances uh, what she's saying. And But did it, did it, oh, it you remind may, me of when I was a, When I was a kid, I gave that album to so many of my friends. It makes me so happy to have one of them like it thank you Mitch I'm so glad you I'm so glad you liked it I'm, I'm learning John I'm learning and uh, also uh, by the way uh, sadness they um, we lost um, Randy Meisner um, from the Eagles uh, Randy Meisner has left us yes this Randy just happened Meisner, in the last yes. hour we just learned yes. that uh, that Randy Meisner um, one of the founding members of the Eagles uh, has left us at 77 he he's the one who sings take it to the limit right uh, wrote a lot of the great tunes, and also, we, of course, he was with the uh, first Poco when they first came out. That's right on the first Poco album. That's right, but, uh, and also with uh, um, Ricky Nelson's uh, uh, Stone Canyon Band, also played on. Uh, Rick He's the one, band. you know. It's it's uh, on the on the uh, the harmonies on Take It Easy. That's Randy Meisner, right? The high right. the high notes, then, yeah. Um, just what a beautiful uh, voice. I mean, just uh, you know, a great time. I tortured life, though. I mean, so much tragedy there, also. Uh, uh, he lost his well, wife his suicide, or actually they all suicide, I guess, but a couple of years ago. But uh, so tough, and uh, but uh, yeah, God bless, uh, John. Yeah. Real quick, I, I was going to talk about Trump, but we know, we know. Just uh, mm-hmm. you have a Humphrey thing. About, thank you very much. Because sixty-eight was so confusing. I mean, I didn't get to vote yet. I voted first in seventy-two, but sixty-eight. I mean, you know, I think part of this, the the thing about Humphrey was. They seen him. As, they seen him as an extension of of, of Lyndon Johnson, and mm-hmm. I think that's why. I think a, a part of it was, uh, you know, why he uh, he did. You know, I think 
because of the war and everything else, I think that a lot of people saw him, even though he, you know, wanted to stop the bombing, uh, yeah. give South Vietnam back to them and fight for themselves. Uh, I, I think that the, the, the Johnson stigma kind of stayed with him yeah. uh, during yeah. the campaign. I think so, too. I mean, and, and it would have stayed with anybody. I mean, imagine having a president so unpopular he chooses not to run for office again. Uh, so unpopular with his own party, you know? I mean, right. LBJ LBJ should be enshrined in the history books as a great hero of civil rights. But instead, you know, he's remembered for making Vietnam so much worse and walking into so much death for so many people. Right, right. Uh, and then, Thanks, say, with George Wallace and and, and, then, yeah. Ken, and then the Kennedy. It was just so confusing. It really so confusing, you know, uh, how to sort things out. And uh, well, just, listen, it's all worth it to me that you're a Sinead O'Connor fan now. So thank you, Mitch. We got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more of your calls and Thea with the Minority Report. This is progress. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This is SiriusXM. I'm John Fugelsang. This is Tell Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble. We're at 866-997-4748. We're going to be joined very shortly by our good friend Keith Price to round up all the news and double-talk and jive and rank fuckery of the week. But first, it's time, at last, for another installment of The Minority Report with our producer, Thea Harper. All's my life I has to fight Thea, welcome back. Hey, John. How are you? How's your disgustingly hot week going in New York? <laughs> I'm doing well. Um, it's it's extremely hot. Uh, it has not been fun. How about how how's it been for you? Yeah, you know, for me, it's like I can handle anything because I have these episodes of theoretically speaking to listen to. And my <laughs> God, you are such a great broadcaster. My, can you take over the show more often? Like, it's great when you talk about politics, but I, I love hearing you just in your element. You're such a good interviewer, and I've really, really been been loving the work you've been doing here. Um, I, oh. I guess Chris deserves some a little bit of credit too for helping. But seriously, great <laughs> stuff last week. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Always. Um, I, I got to tell you, though, I'm, I'm looking at uh, this headline from the beginning of the week at The Root. And the, it's the headline of the week. It's just, y'all 
It was all a lie. Latest update in yes. Carly Russell case. You were here last week and we, we talked all about the Carly Russell case and you, you said something that really stayed with me. Um, mm-hmm. You talked about, you know, how how if it's not true and, and it being a hoax, uh, how we have a really serious problem with abduction yeah. of women of color in this country and human trafficking. And of course, if it's a blonde white girl with m- parents with money, it'll be all over the TV. And you said last week that, you know, there's there's so many real cases of this and there's people who might not believe other cases because of this hoax. And now a day after this was resolved, what has happened? Yeah. So now that the Carly Russell case has has been resolved, another family has has spoke out about their loved one that disappeared um, the day after Carly returned home. According to WCNC, a television outlet in North Carolina, Alicia Watts, who's 39, has been missing for 10 days. Mm-hmm. And her family has not received any information um, from the police on her progress at all. Now, where does she live, Alicia Watts? Where is she from? She is from North Carolina. Okay, thank you. So, missing for 10 days, and and the police have, have, have they said anything to her parents about about a search there really hasn't been much said um so pretty much well first what happened according to her family alicia was in town visiting her boyfriend in charlotte because she doesn't live in charlotte um but she she's she lives in a different county uh in north carolina and she was last seen at a Charlotte residence on uh, Pamela Lorraine Drive on July 16th. And she was supposed to be on her way to a comedy show that evening at Bojangles Coliseum. But authorities say, say it's unclear if she ever made it to the show. Hmm. Um, however, to, on Tuesday, her boyfriend, uh, James Dunmore was found unresponsive in Alicia's car by state troopers, and it was 60 miles away from the residence. This is now the most insane story I have ever heard. So she, she goes to visit her boyfriend, and then she's she's missing for 10 days. But this Tuesday, they find her boyfriend in her Mercedes, right? She was in her Mercedes-Benz SUV. Yes. Like 60 miles away, but he was found unresponsive like they, they took this guy to the hospital right or did the, did they think that he might have something to do with her m- being missing right so they took him to the hospital and he's not being named as a suspect in her disappearance and there's there's no leads um at this, this is time. insane he's 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 her boyfriend she came to visit him he's sitting in her mercedes-benz suv but he has no idea where she is and he's not a suspect. And they haven't told her family anything for 10 days. I, yeah. I, I, I mean, even by, the, even by the usual standards we have of people not getting answers when their loved ones go missing, this is insane. Right. I, what, what does it mean that he was not responsive? Like, was he, was he high? Was he passed out or drunk? I, I, I get they took him to the hospital, but we don't know anything else here. And, and it just seems like I, I, I don't even know where to begin with this one. I mean, the family must be beside themselves. Yeah, the boyfriend. I've read somewhere that the boyfriend has been questioned, but um, but he's not has not been charged with any crimes. Um, the family just did a press conference yesterday, 
and you know asking for for answers also um the the national uh president of the dr candace brewer the national president of the rush racial justice network said the group is working to form a search party and asked anyone with information to call their hotline um if they get any, any information um yeah it's 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 really scary uh you know i i stressed last week about how there are so many black women missing and i said that i hope that the way we showed up for carly we would show up for other black women black women that are actually missing and yeah we're we're, we're really not seeing that in this case and people have gone on social social media and have expressed their their frustration about this story not going viral like Carly um, or that or saying that our attention should have been on this story that the entire time. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, I was reading like on Yahoo some comments uh, from people about this case. And and I read someone who had a, a, a very angry comment, but I I. I totally get it. They, they more or less said Carly needs Carly Russell needs to be involved with the search efforts for Alicia so she can see the time, money, emotions and resources that were wasted. This woman really is missing and the resources wasted went to a hoax instead of Alicia. And I was like, this is exactly what you were saying last week. And it's going to be harder for people to believe when other folks really go missing. Yeah. And we also know the older you are, there's also less coverage uh, in in the news about that as well, Alicia yeah. is thirty nine um, years old, and Carly was twenty five. Carly Carly's twenty five. So there's yeah. a, all these other factors as well. But I mean, at this time, you know, we could just hope that we could get some answers soon on yeah. this case. This is really confusing, Thea. Will you please keep on this case? I'll I'll, I'll keep my eyes on it as well because I just don't understand. The boyfriend's the last one to see her, and he's in her car, but he's unresponsive. I I don't know what that means yet. And she's missing mm -hmm. for 11 days, but he's got the car. It just seems like there's a lot of questions here. I, yeah. I and then and I also, poor family. Go ahead. Also, the car being 60 miles away from the residence. Yeah. So, yeah. And, he, and he's got her Mercedes-Benz SUV, but doesn't know what happened to her. And he's not a suspect. There's a lot of details here that the police have not shared, and I assume they haven't shared it with the family as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. This is 11 days now. This poor woman's been missing. Yes, 11 days. Um, but I, I plan on keeping up with this story and keeping everyone posted on this. So, yeah. Oh, uh, man, you're the best. Thank you, Thea Harper. Thanks so much. Really, really Thank you, John. It. Thank you. I love when you do this segment. We are at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. We're going to take a really quick break. We'll be right back with Keith Price and your calls, 866-997-GRIT. We still have a lot to make fun of. Don't go away. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. 
It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. <laughs> I, I just can't believe the things adults do with this technology. My God. <laughs> you know, Zoom is supposed to be for soulless corporate meetings and deviant sexual activities, not for people to show their adorable pets to each other. But here we are, Keith holding up a dog and I'm holding up a cat. And we're both on Zoom in a commercial break. <laughs> Keith Price is with us. Now, Keith's a terrific comedian, an actor, a writer, a great broadcaster, the first openly gay black radio host at Sirius XM, co-anchored the morning show on the late lamented breakthrough channel OutQ, back when Dave Rubin was a, a, a gay man. Uh, be sure to catch his wonderful Broadway podcast, Keith Price's Curd Call. He is our bay, our beau. Uh, it is the one and only Keith Price. Hello, my darling. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much. Sorry for all the... the, the you had your dog on your lap and I had my cat your, my cat on my lap for a second. There. I it's know. I'm, I'm dog-sitting my little darling Maverick. He's fabulous. He's the perfect dog. He's just old enough not to need a lot of extra attention. So it's like we can both sit on the couch and watch all of Justina Machado in um, The Horror of Dolores <laughs> Gray. That's what we've been doing all afternoon. <laughs> Very nice. Sounds like a good life. Very it's nice. It's not bad today. Not bad. Um, Keith, I want to I want to play a clip for you we'll talk from to earlier me. today because uh, I want to talk about um, theocracy and right wing hypocrisy. You know, we we have our our austere religious authoritarian figures who harassed Sinead O'Connor and who drove Sinead O'Connor from uh, from from stardom, and when she told the truth about child rape in the Catholic Church, she was canceled in the truest of ways, and she yep. kept on performing and releasing records. But of course, um, the same people who were more angry at her for telling the truth about child rape than they were angry about the child rape spent the last couple of decades mocking her public struggles with mental health. And, mm -hmm. and I couldn't help but think about that earlier today when I saw Republican Congresswoman Nancy Mace who mm. made this remark about premarital sex um, at the White House uh, at the prayer breakfast. Uh, and I just want to play you the clip really quick to think the same political force, the same conservative religious establishment that was furious with Sinead for telling the truth about rape here at this prayer breakfast fundraiser for Tim Scott. And by the way, a prayer Ew. breakfast fundraiser is pretty disgusting. Here's Nancy Mace telling this Randy story uh, about how she's almost was almost late because uh, she turned down her fiance for some hot morning sex. 
Um, but I want to thank you for pulling this together. Another year, another standing room only event. And when I woke up this morning at 7, I, I was getting picked up at 7.45. Patrick, my fiance, tried to pull me by my waist over this morning in bed. And I was like, no, baby, we don't got time for that this morning. Uh, I got to get to the prayer breakfast. And I got to be on time. And a little TMI. But um, I... He'll, he can wait. He's got, we got, I'll see him later tonight. Um, but I was here early today for you, Tim. And I think everybody, <laughs> everybody was here early for you today. And I think that's a true testament to your leadership, to your faith, and your uh. ability to bring people together. Now, I'm not offended that <laughs> right, she has premarital... Even if they're about to have sex, she not can offended, stop that. Not offended by a woman having premarital sex, believe it or not. Exactly. I'm more offended that the, 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 the Tim Scott fundraising breakfast for his presidential campaign, that's a bit mm -hmm. more offensive to me. But, Keith, I, I know it's very tame, and I know Donald Trump did much worse, but these were the party of family values. This is the exactly. party that just abused so many for so long. And and you can tell Nancy Mace knows she crossed the line. Uh, like about twenty seconds into that, you can tell she knew she went too far and tried to walk it back a little bit. But again, with it's, the TMI, yeah, yeah. I just, well, I, you know, girl. See that my thing is is that you should have just been late and got the coochie instead of trying to pretend <laughs> that you you didn't want the D girl. Come on, come. You know, again, people that are trying to pretend that they don't have sexual energy, sexual urges, like the rest of us, trying to live some sort of weird, pious lifestyle, and then admitting that she's A, fornicating with her her uh, 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 fiancé, they are not married, they're in bed and sharing together. It's like, so, <laughs> it's like, so, you know, again, under normal circumstances, we don't give a shish kebab. But, but the fact that you spend all this time trying to put, put out this whole family value bullshit, and then you Thank wind you. up doing the same thing that everybody else is doing, tells me that you yourself don't believe the crap that you keep spewing. So, like, again, you know, how... How many more of these moments are we going to have amongst the, the masses of these Republicans to show the hypocrisy that they constantly are living under anyway? It's like, I'm they again, boring. She's boring. T yeah. Mr. Tim Scott's boring. It's like he's he's so busy trying to not be black. And it's like, baby, oh, I don't man. know if you know this. Every place you show up, they go, no, you black, bro. So you can play the I don't see color game if you want to. But Negro, we see you. So oh, he's up, playing bro. a game. All right. He's playing a game. Sure all right. Is. And he's going to smile while people wave Confederate flags all around him until he can get a shot at being vice president. That's all it's about. Ugh, they will wave that flag and he will disgusting. smile for them. Yeah, you're exactly you right. Know, we are. I at just hope that our voters are smarter. I'm just saying, I just hope that people are paying attention to all of the the contradictory energy that's being put out by these people, because I think it once the, the country tunes into that in a really deep way, it's going to be fun watching them all get, you know, voted out of offices across the country. Like all these You're crazy exactly right. people will finally get put out, but You're that's exactly asking right. a lot. It's asking a lot. <laughs> hey, I, I want to get to some calls. We're at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Before I get to our calls, can I, can I tell you my favorite, 
hypocrisy story of the week. I was going to save this tomorrow for tomorrow's fake Christian Friday. You know, we we always have different things. We have Two Face Tuesday here at the show, and we have a Woman Hating Wednesday. Um, we have uh, Transphobe Thursday and Thirsty Thursday. That's that's the night for the real okay. media wars. But Friday is fake Christian Friday. It's good to have themes. The kids like it. Mm-hmm. And and I was going to save this for tomorrow, but I, I I can't resist. This happened in Houston. Shocking. Shocking. Um, a woman named Christy Morris had taught in this Christian school in Houston for 19 years. Uh, mm-hmm. First Baptist Academy. Taught there 19 years. And then one night, uh, she and a co-worker and her daughter went to a drag show. Uh, just uh, two weeks ago, July 13th. And uh, they went and saw a drag show somewhere in Texas, because that's your teacher. It's yeah. your free time. You're off the clock. You get to do yeah. what you want to do with your life. She and Dip a co-worker in the Montrose a, area. And in Houston. they posted some photos from their fun drag show, The Girls' Night Out, on Facebook the next day. Guess what happened? Um, Right after that, First Baptist Academy called this teacher who Mm -hmm. taught in their Christian school for 19 years and told her she was fired. Fired for going to a drag show on her off time. And they said it was because she, and they fired the co-worker as well, for allegedly violating a section of their manual requiring teachers to act in a godly and moral fashion at work on Facebook, and in my community. Oh, well. um, a drag show, Keith. I have it on good authority that Jesus never once in his life wore a pair of pants. No, he never wore no. pants. He always wore a dress his whole life. It was a caftan and Birkenstocks. It's pretty much the role that he was rolling around. You see, the thing that I find hilarious is, is that, of course, they're going to fire the teacher. They're going to make this whole example. They're going to go through whole, this whole process. But the question is, how many people are sleeping with the principal? Yeah. How many how many folks are are, you know, sleeping with each other that are teaching heterosexual, Keith, that are heterosexual. Teaching, it's OK. You know, it's not men in dresses. Okay. Not but men in dresses. what I find fascinating is, is that they got fired for, for just going. And again, the, you know, I hate to be the person to say this to you, but, you know, when you go work for these particular places, those rules and codes are there. And so. You can be as open-minded as you want and teach in that environment. And the reason that you're staying in that environment is on you. I don't know what that could be. But then you cannot be upset with them for instituting and utilizing the rules that they have in order to do things to you. Now, to me, 19 years means that she's close to retirement at 20 years in. She's got probably some fierce um uh, uh, money put away, you know how they do the, the, the oh, whatever yeah. they may do for her retirement package. And now all of that's going to be lost and taken away from her because I'm sure they're going to find a way within this code thing to take it away from her. And yeah. she's going to be left a pri- with private school, it's private school. So it's probably yeah. not a union behind her, probably no union not. support for her. Not whatsoever. in Texas, not in Texas, maybe. So she's ass out for just doing what she felt she wanted to do. And again, every right to go to the drag show, every right to do this, you know, but these people are playing this game. They're playing a very hard game. And the problem is, is that they control the rules where in their, in their world. So if they want to control the rules in their own world, then that's how it's going to have to be. But for the rest of us, we're not putting up with it. So I want her to sue the school. I want her to sue the school for everything because I, I agree with everything you said, except yeah. I, I still want to push back. Because oh, well, the, mean, policy, the policy says act in a godly and moral fashion at work on Facebook and in my community. I want to know what she did by going to see this show. That was not in a godly and moral fashion. What was the, I mean, how is going to see like, how is going to see a pro wrestling match 
you know, that, he wouldn't be fired for that. I mean, how like like it, See, it's it's what what did she do that violated Christian scripture? Mis- I, this is I my can big tell issue. you what the mistake was. She should have taken her Bible with her and had pictures posing of her reading scripture to the drag screaming queens. at people. Yeah, that's it. Either, either do something like that. So that it looks like at least she's that's trying it. to minister to those sinners. And There's that, of course, will fall. That would fall within the purview of being <laughs> so Christ-like right. and Christian-like by that contract. So, I, you know, she, that was her mistake. She staged it all wrong. You're she should so have staged right. herself with the Bible. That's it. If, if she that's had come it. and said that I went there to tell those people that they were evil and going to hell, if I went there to persecute them, if I went there to make them feel like they were freaks... Mm-hmm. Her employers would consider that to be godly and moral. Of course they would have, because she's going out and trying to convert those horrible, horrible sinners. But again, <laughs> she just probably went there for the drink special. Just oh, went well, there for a, <laughs> went there for a drag show. First Amendment thought she lived I mean, in America. Found out we all we all want to see people do, you know, scenes from Dreamgirls when we go out. So who knows? It might have been a special night for her. But you know again, what? That's how that's how I go. I, all right. Sorry. All right. I, I still hope this lady becomes really, really famous. And I hope that school mm-hmm. is named after her because she owns it this time next year. But we'll see. What <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not hopeful. Let's go to the phones, shall we? Stephen in Kentucky. You're on with the mighty Keith Price. Hello. How are you this evening? We're very Stephen, good. How darling, you? how are you, dear? Well, I'm doing all right. And by the way, I have uh, somebody here, John, that you might be interested in. Hold on just a moment. Hmm. Hello, Mr. Fugel Sang. This is Lady Bird Johnson tonight, honey. I just wanted to come and visit you. I had a chance to listen to your interview uh, with Mr. Freeman. Is that right? Uh, Freedman. Uh, oh, Johnson, oh, yes. right, honey. Well, I just wanted to mention that Hubert Humphrey was, uh, of course, being my husband's vice president. He was just a hoot to deal with, I tell you. We used to have martinis all the time, martini night. <laughs> uh, at one point, we designated that, of course, during, especially during the 1968 election. You know, uh, Lyndon was just horrified when he lost. And he, but uh-huh. he, he, but uh, he, but, is it Mrs. Johnson, is, is Lyndon in the room with you now, Mrs. Johnson? Oh, honey, no. I don't know where Linda is right now. You know, I, I guess okay. he's off chasing one of them women or something. I don't know. Uh, but uh, but uh, I tell you, uh, though, Elvis Presley and I uh, went out ball hopping the other night. And, boy, we oh. just did everything that frightened fish. <laughs> well, but uh, let me tell you, you've got, a, you've got a solo show ready, my friend. Oh, well, thank you so much, honey. But Hubert was wonderful. He really was. And, and uh, but John, I wanted to, <laughs> sorry, Lady Bird, if you could move over, honey, a little bit. <laughs> thank you. Okay. So, uh, so am I, am I speaking to Stephen again? Are you no longer channeling Lady yes, Bird? Okay. Yes, yes. Thank you. But I did want to just mention, though, you know, I'm so glad that you had that interview because Mr. Humphrey really deserves a lot of credit. He does. I know, I remember seeing an ad from, on YouTube when I was doing Diana Ross's tribute a couple of years ago, her birthday tribute on my Facebook page. And oh. Miss Ross was one of the people who endorsed him that year, and she mentioned yes. his civil rights advocacy. And um, a lot of people forget about that with Hubert. You know, he, he reminded me a little bit 
Do you remember uh, Casey Kasem when he used to do the Batman and Robin from the 1960s? I you know, don't. I'm so sorry. No, I remember he was the voice of Shaggy, but I didn't know he did Batman as well. Yeah, he did Batman and Robin's voices, too. Uh, Robin, I believe. Uh, Hubert Humphrey's voice reminded me a lot of Casey Kasem's, for some reason, doing that Robin uh, impression oh. for, for what happened. <laughs> for what, he was very insipid, but he was a good man. I hope you and, enjoyed the you know, interview, and, and I, I hope you I hope you buy the book. It's really good. I certainly will. It's, if it's now getting back to uh, you know this stuff. I, do you remember an episode of All in the Family, Keith? You might remember this, dear. I don't know. Uh, back in the late seventies, when uh, Beverly LaSalle, do you remember that character who was on All in the Family? Laurie Shannon was the uh, was the actor who played. Do you remember that character? I, what in what relation to? The, who was the she on bunkers. the character? Who was who was she on the show? Well, Beverly LaSalle was supposed to be one of Archie's customers when he was driving the taxi cab, and she he saved her life or she saved his life, one of the two. And and Laurie Shannon made uh, three appearances on All in the Family in seventy five, seventy six, and then in seventy seven. There is just nothing I understand about this conversation yet. Well, it has something to do with transgendered. Okay. Oh, because okay. He was he was one of the first transgendered individuals on on television at that time in the seventies, and they they all in the family. Norman Lear's birthday, of course, is today too. Yes. And I wanted to bring this up because Matt Gates earlier today would somebody mention he was a murderer, and this show just so happens that that character um, Beverly LaSalle was killed. In that in that episode, it was around Christmas. Oh, I didn't time, know this. Edith Bunker was having a crisis of faith. Do you remember that episode? Now, I'm sorry, it's been a long time, and I don't. But I love the show. Yeah, it was it was a wonderful episode. Edith, you know, used to go to church all the time, but then it, Beverly and her were very dear friends. And then when she was murdered, Edith basically lost her faith after that. And it was okay. a very powerful episode. I think it came out in 1977. And this ties and, into what house, Stephen? I'm so sorry. It ties into the transgendered issue that I was talking about with Matt Gates. He keeps okay. they did some sort of conference or, uh. or something at Washington. You know, they were and they were uh, Matt Gates was getting up there and just like usual, you know, he wants to demean and degrade people that are transgendered. Yes. And someone got up and yelled out murderer to him. And I'm glad oh. that they did, because he That's is a great. murderer. He doesn't, and then he sits there and says, well, you just need to get over yourself. No, he needs to get over himself. Who the, the hell is he to Sirius judge? Sirius XM legal department has asked me to come forward and say that Matt Gates has not, in fact, ever been convicted of murder. Uh, he is not, not accused not, of murder. No. Uh, he's not a murderer. Let me be very clear to them. They also pa- they passed me a piece of paper explaining what libel meant, so I have to say that. Well, I'm, I'm not trying to libel anybody. I'm trying to basically state that what the person was saying is that his actions, his policies are encouraging the deaths oh, of these innocent I, I, Oh, I get, I, I get that. It's just, it's just, I love you so much, Stephen, that you got me to defend Matt Gates tonight. That's, that hasn't happened before, and you've brought that out of me. You've, you well, made me I, say well, Matt but, Gates is not a murderer, and I've never well, thought I'd stand the, up for the guy before, so I learned something about me. At the same time, we need to be very clear that his policies that he's advocating are leading some of these kids to suicide. That, to me, is a murderous policy. I'm sorry they don't buy into that. I don't give a damn. The fact is, 
what he's doing, what he's advocating, and what his party is advocating, if they truly care, Keith mentioned this earlier, if these people truly had a conscience, then they would obviously, well, what do they care about being called that? They do anything the hell they want anyway. They, they snub their nose at the law anyway when it comes to this. The fact is, a lot, if you look at the percentage of these teenagers I, that are having problems that are trying to come out and trying to live an honest mm-hmm. life, and then they're being pushed back into the closet by these people, yeah. I mean, Is why this Ladybird saying be, this, or is this Stephen? Which, who, which one of you is saying? Is this Ladybird Johnson saying this, or is I'm this Stephen? I'm saying Kentucky? this myself. Okay. I am. Okay. I'm speaking as somebody that happens to be LGBTQ in that community. And I'm sorry, why the hell should we have to sit there and be pushed back into the closet simply because some people can't deal with their own sexuality? That's ridiculous, it is. No, but you've nailed it, because by being Lady Bird Johnson, you're not just LGBTQ, you're also LBJ at the same time. So well done, my friend. Well done. I I don't know, but but all I'm saying is at this point... That the, and I'm going to say it again. Just yeah, no, you don't have to say it again. It's it's, it's okay. Well, I got you. Well, I mean, I'm I'm not going to be sued for liable by these. No, people. no, I mean, that's obviously. just a joke. I I just have I have about four thousand people on hold, so I, I have to get to some other calls. It's well, really good to hear from you, and I thank you for checking in. And by the way, your 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 ladybird is eerie. It's like she's right here, turning a blind eye to her husband's peccadillos. Well, thank you, uh, and uh, Keith, you have a wonderful evening too, dear. It was nice hearing from you too. Thank you. My thing is, is that, you know, I understand exactly the dilemma. It's sort of like the the energy that's being spent and put out, you know, to castigate the LGBT community is it is actually it's cascaded and already has been a lot of homicides because of it. And it's, and it's certainly adding to that. It's like mm-hmm. the Jenny Jones murder thing all over again. That's what exactly. we're with. You're right. That's what we're dealing with. Stephen, exactly. God bless you. Thank you so much for calling. You Thank take you very care. much. You too as well. 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. Keith, did you happen to see what happened to Mitch McConnell yesterday? Oh, yes, I did. And I got very scary. excited in it for a hot minute. And then I thought, oh, that's so sad. Now, we don't, you're joking. We do not rejoice in someone else's suffering, right? Come on. Listen. I want Mitch McConnell to pay for his crimes. I don't want him to have a stroke, right? Well, but I mean, it seems as if it's going to have to be that route for his comeuppance because nothing else seems to come and get him. And you know what? The thing is, he's old. He's he's that age now where these type of episodes are going to happen. And as the same way we're going to talk about him, we got we can't be mad at Diane Feinstein either. She need, I know. You know people need folks. Folks need to go sit down. Now, y'all need to go sit down. This is not telling you that you're too old, but you're just you're not holding up the way you're supposed to hold up for the job that you have. So you need to figure out where you else you need to be if it's about you. And again, if it is really about you being of service to the people, there are lots of places that people in that age range can go and be of service. That's all I'm saying. Walmart always needs a greeter. You know what I mean? Oh, oh, you know what I'm saying? No, listen, and hey, maybe Mitch McConnell's thinking of his next job because they asked him today about it. Listen to this clip. It's amazing. Like, he would rather deflect legitimate concerns about his health so he can push the narrative that, oh, it's actually Joe Biden, who's a clumsy, old, senile, mm-hmm. dementia patient. Listen to this. Oh, that's well, that's uh, call that. check on me. <laughs> I told him I got a sandbag. Oh, nice. How are you feeling now, sir? Uh, How are you feeling now? I'm fine. Have you seen a doctor? Are you going to Any see Any idea what happened? Huh? Any idea what happened? I'm fine. That's dehydrated. 
Gotta watch those sandbags. Senator DJ, did you talk to a doctor today? Folks, we're good, thank you. That's creepy. They le- First off, they left sandbags in front of Joe Biden in his path, and he tripped, and he fell, and he got back up. So good for you, 80-year-old man. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was really creepy that Mitch McConnell didn't go to see a doctor after he just stared into space catatonic for 30 seconds. And it was really kind of disconcerting hearing the journalists interviewing him, coaching him, and try a little dehydrated maybe? Hmm, can I come like Like, mm-hmm. the refs are kind of working the player here. I... Look, I'm not into ageism at all, and if Mitch McConnell can do his job, I don't care what happens. I just think you saw that poor guy yesterday. No one thought it was a good idea to take him to a hospital and just check him out? Well, again, isn't there, like, medical staff on on duty in the the Senate and in the House? Isn't there, like, a house doctor somewhere around there? There is, yeah. There was a doctor standing right next to him at the time, but still. Well, I mean, so I'm sure that they have made some sort of assessment with him, and the mere fact that we don't know about it is because he don't want us to know about it. Because the minute they talk about him actually showing up at a hospital and getting sick, then the inquiries about his health is going to become something that he doesn't want us to know about. So bottom line is, why? Where is his wife at? What is Miss Elaine Chow doing that we that, that's the bitch we should be looking at? Because, you know, she's doing all <laughs> kinds of fucking scandalous shit right now, especially Thank because you. she doesn't have government intervention paying attention. So, I, I, you know, do I feel sad for him? No, I don't. I'm sorry. I just know I can't I can't fake the empathy. The bottom line nope. is, is that he's okay. a terrible, terrible, terrible human being. And we anything agree. and everything that comes to him. I'm not going to gloat and and celebrate and be all gleeful about it, but I sure in the fuck ain't going to feel bad about it. He can Just do pointing you know out as bad as Mitch McConnell is, you know, after the midterms, um, it was Rick Scott who challenged him <laughs> to try to be the next leader. And the only thing I'm saying is everything you say about Mitch McConnell is true. But what's the likelihood that he could be replaced by someone much, much, much worse? Well, I, and this is where the audiences of, of people that are listening and voting need to pay attention. Because, again, yeah, if you realize right. now that you can get rid of some of these little Yahoo senators, you know, Ted Cruz's and Josh Hawley's and get them the hell out of that Scott's, get them all out of that scene and actually put real folks, Democrat or whatever, that are going to actually do the job for the country then, yeah, we don't have to worry about who's coming after Mitch McConnell. You know what I'm saying? We got to watch who's following up behind Chuck Schumer because I got some choice (laughs) words for that bitch, too, because she's not doing the job for me either. She's a little too soft right now. And I'm tired. Like I said, I'm getting tired of watching the news and seeing, you know, yet another Hunter Biden story. And there's no Jared Kushner billion dollar money where you get it from. I thought y'all didn't work for the the government for for working for free. How y'all walk out with 70 trillion million dollars like nobody's asking any of those fucking questions. And it's like I get the Democrats don't want to seem, quote unquote, partisan, but. In actuality, if there was actual criminal behavior, regardless of who does it, it doesn't matter. And the fact of the matter that you're going to turn a blind eye to that because you don't want to seem political while this idiot is, you know, spending tax dollars and spending money to pursue the Hunter Biden laptop and the the porno picture that got blown up. How much does that cost? Oh, my God. Can you believe that? Can you believe with you no know? consent, his sto- the guy's phone got hacked, and they stole his private information. And here's Marjorie yeah. Taylor Greene showing his drug-addled sex pics on yeah. TV in front of the Congress because she can, uh-huh. because Democrats 
are going to go high. Democrats are not going to do it. They're going to focus on legislating and caring for the people. And I respect it. I respect wanting to be a good guy. But at some point, Keith, I want to see the Democrats bring the fight to the Republicans and watch them stop being a pinata. I mean, unless there is some sort of deep underhanded plan to have like a big, like you say, a big pinata explosion of information that's just going to be a whole wall, you know, waterfall shed of information. I mean, unless they're doing that, I don't know what else to think. I feel like, you know, again, they're asking for. You know, we the people that voted for Trump and all those those crazies were talking about the fact that he's willing to do the fighting. And, you know, these Republicans are using fight to get in there and own yeah. the libs. It's like the owning the libs is the fight for these people. That's and it's it. like, so then what is our fight? Oh, we're just going to try to legislate better and we're just going to try to do what's good for the people. And it's like we love that. But you should be doing yeah, that but, shit already. But, but that how are you fighting? How are, how you are you fighting, fighting to do things? You you exactly. don't do good things for the people without a lot of fighting. Hey, Mark in uh, in South Dakota, welcome. You're on SiriusXM with Keith. How are you? Uh, well, I, I was doing fine until I can't just the mental image of Tim Scott making a woman come early. I said. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to put that. Yeah, I, I think Keith said something like that. You can you can you can release. Yeah. Look, South Carolina likes their bachelor senators. Let's just put it that way. Right, Keith? Mm -hmm. South Carolina loves to have their bachelor. Tim Scott's a bachelor, I believe, right? Yes, I believe so. I think, maybe. I don't know. We'll we'll talk and I'll look it up. I mean, Lindsey Graham's there to make Tim Scott look great. That's what you need to know. (laughs) What's on your mind? Well, anyway, uh, I I just... When I heard you were going to talk about Hubert Humphrey, I just, I, I had to call. I, I, I wanted to call and get in on the sitting on Jason Elbean party a week ago, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I just, like, I, I'm glad that, like, any recognition Hubert Humphrey had is, like, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up hearing that Hubert Humphrey was this really great guy who uh, who really fucked things up for the Democrats with Vietnam and in 1968. And this is a whole book about how Hubert Humphrey was like this young white guy from Minnesota who dragged the Democrats into civil rights in 1948. It's a great story. And, you know, we should not forget the great things he did uh, that before his tragic undoing. Well, uh, to be honest, I have a personal connection to this. Mike, what's that? Uh, he's you know, the, all, all of his career and all the history books will remember him as a Minnesotan because, well, obviously that's where his adult life was spent and where you know he was there and everything else. But uh, he is originally from a tiny town in uh, South Dakota called Dolan. Mm-hmm. I'd be shocked if it has even 500 or so people at this point. But my personal connection is that my grandmother attended elementary school with him. Oh wow! And yeah, so uh, it's a kind of like it's kind of like a fun little right, not fun little, but it's like kind of like a, I something I always take pride in and having that connection to him and so forth. But uh, nice. yeah, he probably won't get the recognition uh, nationally and so forth because again, he'll be just mostly remembered as the pump that got stuck between the Johnson and the Dick. But uh, he was along U.S. Highway uh, 212, at least the section that goes through that town. It is known as the uh, Hubert H. Humphrey Memorial Highway. And you can take that highway directly into Minneapolis, and I have many times to attend. Uh, well, I guess you can't anymore, but I have attended numerous events in the Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome. So, That's great. Well, I mean, he is one of the great reasons why, you know, we talk about how the Democrats used to be the racist party and then became the civil rights party. And Hubert Humphrey is one of the biggest reasons the Democrats made that flip. I hope you read the book. It's really, really great. Thank you so much for the call, man.
Uh, oh, the name of the book. I'm so sorry. Right as I right as I lose him. Uh, let me get you the name of the book right now because it really was wonderful. And again, um, it was. Oh, I, I let me have the. Uh, I have it right here. Front of me. It's called. You have it in front of me? Called, I want to get it right. Yeah, yeah, it's called Mark's Grandma's Classmate. Mark's Hebert Grandma's Class. <laughs> so shady. You are shady. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. sorry. It's, it's called, called Into the Bright Sunshine. Into the Bright Sunshine, correct. Young Hubert Humphrey and the Fight for Civil Rights by Samuel Friedman. It's really, really a terrific book. Keith, can I ask you about this, Tim Scott? This Tim Scott Please? said he was a virgin. He said he was a virgin for years. He said the Bible says you have to be a virgin until you're married. He was 30 years old in, in, in the government and still claimed that he was a virgin at age 30. And finally, at age 46... They asked him if he was still a virgin. Are you still abstinent? Because that's been his whole thing. He keeps telling people you have you you just can't have sex. He's, mm-hmm. He 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 co-sponsored the Abstinence Education Reallocation Act, which would have funded mm-hmm. abstinence-only education, um, mm-hmm. which doesn't work. Uh, at age forty-six, he finally said, "Well, uh, uh, you know, we're we're not all good at that, and uh, I wish I, I had more patience." I finally got a hooker. Yeah, finally. Sorry, that's what he meant. Or something else, right? I mean, like, like, but it's interesting that a black man bragging mm-hmm. at age 30, he was still a virgin, really helped him in the Republican Party. But it mm-hmm. really helped him in the Republican Party, Keith. Yeah, because they're willing to believe anything. I mean, they, you know, they follow Trump. So what do they, my, again, the mere fact that he has gone through the process of having to, A, explain why he's not married still, still. explain why he is a virgin, like, mm. I, I, I just, I honestly, I don't know what to do with that, except what I really want to say is N-word, please. But I need to, <laughs> I want to say it the way I feel like saying it, and I don't want to offend nobody that's listening. So those of you who do know me know that when I say N-word, I'm saying it, and I mean with the E-R at the end of it. You know what I'm saying? Right Because on. really, 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 Tim Scott, really? I this just, is how your yeah. appeal. This is your appeal to America as a I black. I think this man. is how he comes out and says, "Look, uh, I'm a black man. I'm not coming after your white women, and I don't intend to reproduce. Vote for me." Vote and for me. white folks in South Carolina say, "Oh, I like, I like the sound of that," and they mm-hmm. send him to the Senate. Yep, they send him to the Senate because clearly, if someone is has that much control over their libido, <laughs> you know, you make a good point. Actually, yeah, it. you know what I'm saying? Like, truly. In the Republican yeah. Party, that is a sh- that's a shining star because yeah, the rest this guy's of them not going to have that problem. I, I will say I don't see Tim Scott showing his dick to a female White House intern. Uh, Bill in New Jersey, really quick before the break, what's up? No, Ugh. okay, uh, Carpe Noctum. Anyway, mm. uh, not nice. Thank you. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I think the people are going to go crazy uh, on the other side because. With all these cases, you know, they had a solution to everything. The Mueller was uh, collusion, what you call it, the uh, porn star. It was it didn't happen. Uh, e. Jean Carroll, she was too ugly. They've got an yeah. answer for everything. But now there's going to be like 20 cases. They're going to have to come up with an easy answer for everything. It's and, really uh, true. Uh, it's so true. There's five. He's already got five trials, Keith, in the next 12 months. Mm-hmm. He's going to ha- he has he had three more felony charges added today to the yep. documents case. And he's going to be indicted two more times. He will. He will. Right. He'll be a convicted I've, felon by the time the Republican convention comes around. Honey, and the full the right. Fulton County uh, uh-huh. County Courthouse is already putting up barricades and blockades around to protect it. So if. There is a sign that something's going to come out of that one. I think we know what's going to go down because you don't put up barricades if he's going to walk away scot-free. Because, again, <laughs> because again, 
the folks on the other side that if we were told that he was not going to be found guilty of anything or be brought up right. on any kind of charges, we're, we don't go out there storming the, the courthouses and shit. Like, we're like, all right, what's the next plan? You know, Damn right. But those people don't do that. So they're preparing for those people to act a ass. Just Bill, just we got to hit a break. I thank you for the call, Bill. Uh, yeah, so listen, don't go away, because when we come back, uh, we're going to be joined by one of the best writers in music, Ray Paget, who I've read for years in Spin and every other magazine, who uh, put together an amazing book where he interviewed musicians who had worked with the mad genius himself, Bob Dylan. We'll also talk with him a bit about Sinead O'Connor, because he's written about her quite extensively. Let's talk about some great artists, and let's talk about madness when we come back. We're uh, Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugel saying... Again, this is Sinead O'Connor with Emma's song. Don't go away. Welcome back. I'm so pleased to welcome our next guest back to the show. Ray Padgett has joined us a few times. I am a true fan of his writing and his fandom. Uh, he's the founder of Cover Me, which is the largest blog devoted just to cover songs on the whole Internet. He's the author of the terrific book, Cover Me, the stories behind the greatest cover songs of all time, which you should own. It is a great book to have on your coffee table and let your cool friends come over. Also, the 33 and a third book, I'm Your Fan, the songs of Leonard Cohen. And you may have read his stuff in The New Yorker and Mojo and Spin and uh, the AV Club. He also writes the excellent Substack newsletter, Flagging Down the Double which is about Bob Dylan in concert, which is something I have a bit of a PhD in. His new book is a great book for fans of music, a fans of musicians, a fan, fans of Dylan, and anyone who's fascinated in attempts to know the most unknowable and iconic of artists. It's collecting over 40 original in-depth interviews, and it's called Pledging My Time, Conversations with Bob Dylan Band Members. It's the first ever look at Bob's career entirely from the perspective of the musicians who are right there with him on stage, some of whom I've interviewed on this show in the past, but nothing could have prepared me for the kind of portrait of an artist he has collected. It's a great pleasure. Ray Padgett, welcome back. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me back, John. Thank you so much. I love your book. You, you seem like a pretty sane, stable person. When did you first get into Bob Dylan? What was your, was it a thing that was always around or was it just a, a switch that got flipped one day for you? Well, I should first say that appearances can be deceiving. Um, I became a Dylan nut uh, in high school, like I guess a lot of people do. But for me, that was 2004. Um, my sort of origin story in brief is that I, my dad, my dad took me to a show. I saw Dylan's in town. I think my dad had like one or two rec old records on vinyl that I kind of liked. So I go to this show, as is typical for people going to Bob Dylan shows. I didn't recognize a single song. Even the songs I knew, like he did like a Rolling Stone. It's not like he only did obscurities, but even that I didn't recognize until like, you know, I read the review in the newspaper the next day and was like, oh, he did yeah. that. I know that song. Yeah. So that's the funny thing is I'm not even sure I liked the show that much, but like it was so unusual and different. I had seen 
a few months before the Simon and Garfunkel reunion tour, like one of my friend's moms took took us, you know, they sang the songs you want and you sing along and you and this was just I, I guess I probably expected the same thing from Dylan, but it was so different that it sort of started me down the rabbit hole of like, what was he doing? How was he rearranging the songs? Um, and yeah, that was 20 years ago almost. Wow. I mean, my experience was was very similar. First, it was just hearing the greatest hits on a cassette on my Walkman as a teenager. And then I, I, I was on a Greyhound bus and I just popped this cassette in to listen to it. And I came off the bus a different person. But for me, the first time I ever saw him live in the early 90s, yeah, I didn't understand what was going on. I could make out at times what the songs were. I didn't understand this kind of music or what he was doing or why the crowd was going so crazy, but I wanted to understand it and I was hooked and 60 plus shows later, to me it's like amazing to watch someone who's still searching for the sound he's trying to get. And it really seems like you were doing the same thing with this book. You go after different musicians who played with him from every era of his career, from from Ramblin' Jack Elliott, talking about the early folk scene, all the way through Ben Montench, our friend from the Heartbreakers, talking about recording rough and rowdy ways. What was the inspiration for this book and, and chasing down all of these different talents to get their very different experiences? So it started sort of haphazardly. I have this Substack newsletter, as you mentioned, where I write about Dylan concerts. And most of those are just, you know, my thoughts or stories or fun facts I've discovered. But early on in it, I like didn't, inter- I, I, I saw this one show I was listening to from 2003, where all of a sudden there is just wailing saxophone on every song. And I'm like, Bob Dylan doesn't have a sax player. That's like not a thing in his band. So I looked it up. It was this guy named Dickie Landry. I was like, I wonder if he... I don't know who he is. I Google him. He has a website. I call him up. I'm like, hey, do you want to? And it turns out he has this amazing story about sitting in with Bob Dylan, who he had never met before and has not spoken to since. But Bob (laughs) invites him to sit in for this one night. And this is like, I mean, he's not, honestly, he's not as obscure as some of the people in the book, but like, he's not a household name. I'd never heard of him. I'm not like a, he's like a jazz guy and I'm really not. But he had this amazing story he'd never told. So I ran that in the newsletter and I'm like, all right, well, that's cool. It's pretty esoteric, though, about, you know, one Bob Dylan show in 2003. And people loved it. It was by far my most popular. So then I started doing a few more of them here and there and running them in the newsletter. And after I'd done 10, I sort of started thinking myself, you know, maybe there's a book here because there are amazing stories, many of which have never been told. With all these people, some who you mentioned, people will know, Ramblin' Jack, et cetera. Some, you know, are just Dylan Sidemen that, Almost no one would know their names, yeah. but they sometimes spent 10 years on the road with the guy and have all these anecdotes. So that's sort of how it how it came together. Well, and that's what I find fascinating. I mean, I've, I've talked with a lot of people over the years about Bob and some of the people in your in your book. I mean, uh, uh, you know, Jeff Bridges has been on the show talking about making Masked Anonymous with him. And uh, of course, Larry Campbell. And it, it seems in many cases there's a lot of well-known people. There's a lot of lesser-known artists who spent many years with him. But some of these people have never actually given interviews before. And I'm always wondering, how much freedom do Bob Dylan's sidemen have to tell their stories? I've often wondered, are there NDAs up the wazoo? I mean, how much liberty do they have? What was your approach in getting these artists to open up and talk about this guy? Yeah, I wondered that same thing after I did that first interview. I was like, all right, this was like kind of a random guy who basically doesn't know him, but like any real band member wouldn't be able to talk, you know. Turns out they do not have NDAs. What it is is just everyone knows Bob is a very private person. Understandably, no one wants to violate that privacy. So they just sort of take their cues from there, which is why in many cases they've never given interviews before. And in many cases, it was very hard. You know, it took me a while to convince them. It was sort of, again, the newsletter helped because once they 
saw one or two that I had done and they saw a, I really knew my stuff. B, yeah. it was always about the music first. I mean, there's tons of personal anecdotes, but it's not gossipy. It's and it's not dumb. It's not I'm not, you know, I'm not opening. So what's Bob really like? <laughs> you know, asking about his marriages or anything. So like that, I think that helped. Once they saw that it'd be like a really in-depth conversation with someone who was really well informed, um, they a lot of them did say, you know, they were able to open up in a way they hadn't before. And I mean, some of these people have Winston Watson, his his drummer in the 90s, who I loved. Uh, he made a whole movie about a whole documentary about his time touring and Scarlett Rivera who, from the Desire album as well. You know, it, it's interesting to me how they tell their stories in your book about how Dylan initially recruited them and how some of them joined the band. And I'm I'm curious if there were any stories there that stood out for you. Yeah, I mean, one thread that goes throughout is it's rare that there is a. Bob Dylan auditioned 100 people to play guitar and then he picked his favorite. You know, there's always Scarlett Rivera. That's the famous one. If she just sees her on the street, and she looks intriguing. That one's well known. One that I don't think has ever been told before that I got a kick out of is this guitarist named Freddie Coella, who played yeah. for a couple of years in the 2000s. His story was he he's French and he was living in L.A. at the time and hanging out with a, a French guitar maker who was a friend of his. Tony Garnier, who, as Dylan Freaks will know, is Bob's long-term bassist and band leader, like 30-something years now, happens to come in because, like, he needs a bass fixed. He's chatting because he knows the guy. He says, oh, you know, we're auditioning this new guitarist, but the, he's not working out, really. Um, and then this guitar maker says, you should try Freddie. And Freddie, the, the guitarist, is just sort of standing there. And Tony's like, yeah, I don't know. Well, the next day he gets a call. Hey, do you want to come jam with Bob? He does. Then, like, a day later, he gets another call. All right, what are you doing next week? We're going to Europe. That sort of thing comes up all the time where it's just right place, right time or just some sort of kismet that they people click. Yeah, I mean, I got to tell you, my favorite, I think, story in the book about joining Dylan's band is um, is well, there's two types of people. There's band members and then. There's the amazing goddesses who were his backup singers in the Born Again years. And Regina McCrary, uh, Regina McCrary from the McCrary Sisters, she sang with him for three years, right, from 79 to, to 81. Mm -hmm. I love the Born Again period. I love the live recordings. The live recordings are astonishing compared to the studio recordings. Can you tell us a bit about her experience? Because it's one thing if you're some, you know, country rock guy who's come up playing in bands. But if... You're an African-American female gospel singer in the 70s. There's a good chance you don't know Bob Dylan's catalog. Yeah, I mean, that that is definitely true. You know, she was someone who was introduced by sort of a friend of a one of his band members. She knows, you know, she knows Blown in the Wind. She knows probably Tambourine Man, you know, the songs everyone knows. But no, she's not a deep Bob Dylan person. But, you know, she joins the band. She discovers that Bob Dylan has gone Christian, as you know, people say he's only performing his own gospel material and gospel covers. All of a sudden, she discovers that, like, you know, she's sort of one of his like windows into the gospel world. Like Bob Dylan does not come from the gospel music tradition. She does. She was in like a, you know a staple singers esque family band with, with her dad when she was a kid. So yeah. she you know sort of puts together all these gospel arrangements. She even ends up opening the show every night just by herself on stage with this gospel story. Cause she's like, you know, and she's talking about, of course, gospel fans may love this, but Bob Dylan fans are not thrilled that he's not playing yeah. any old songs. He's only, he's doing long sermons about Jesus and stuff. So she's, you know, going out there and they're being booed and there's all sorts of controversy, just like when he went electric. And so went, yeah. she had just amazing <laughs> stories about dealing with that.
boy, the Sinatra period was the one experimentation phase where they never booed him. You know that that he he got off free on. But yeah, the gospel and plugging in. Um, I I, I do want to. I ask think you people about... have learned by now that if you if you boo Bob Dylan for a change, you're probably going to look like an idiot ten or twenty <laughs> years down the line when you realize he was right. <laughs> Well, it's really evident how much these artists love this guy and how much, in many cases, they revere him. Um, and in many cases, they they are frank about not understanding him. And I, I was very keen to uh, ask you about your experience talking with uh, New Orleans legend Duke Robillard, who briefly, briefly, briefly joined Bob's touring band a few years back. He had played on Time Out of Mind, which won the Grammy for Album of the Year. And I was one of the fans who was really excited to see Bob bringing this real guitar legend on the road with him. Those who are into this stuff know it didn't last that long. What did you learn from talking with him about his very brief experience? Yeah, he that was one of the tougher interviews in the book because he had been someone, a fairly well-known blues guitarist, who Dylan had asked to be in his touring band for years and he had his own career, so he didn't want to, you know, drop everything and go on the road with a guy who spends nine months of the year every year on the road. Finally, he does in 2013. First month, seems like it's going great. He's, you know, Bob doesn't give anyone any direction, but he feels like Dylan's happy with what he's doing. Then they take a little break. They go back and all of a sudden on stage, you know, Duke will be playing a solo and Bob just stops playing and glares at him. Or Duke's doing yeah. something and Bob will walk over from behind the piano and just, you know, start talking smack, you know, yeah. behind the harmonica mic publicly. And yeah. I remember I was on a fan stage. Point, I, fans I, were talking it's on about YouTube. it. Like, what it's is, on YouTube. What still, is going yeah. on here? Yeah. 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 You can. It was it was there were. So Duke told me the behind the scenes story, which was even more volatile. These fights on the bus and stuff they were having, which, again, he hasn't talked about before. But that was a sort of public breakup. And then, yeah, at one point, the. Even with a sort of sad story like that, there are these funny moments. At one point, I guess Dylan was annoyed by all the sort of high up the, you know, high note blues soloings. He says, you're only allowed to play the bottom three strings of your guitar. You can't touch the top three strings. And Duke says, okay. And so there's a show. You can listen to the tape. I think Nashville, maybe, where every solo is really low because he's only playing the bottom three strings of his guitar. Sadly, that didn't uh, endear him again. And yeah, they, it's sort of he quits, but is forced to quit, semi-fired. Um and that, you know, then he's he's so pissed he sells all his CDs and Dylan buying yeah. and stuff. It's a rough one. <laughs> he publicly announced that he was selling his his catalog, but I mean, I, I find mm -hmm. that in many cases to be one of the most fascinating stories because, as I'm sure you'd agree, a worshipful book about what a swell boss he is would be completely boring and and diminish him as an artist. I'm curious if you've ever had any feedback or or any flack or any messages from Dylan's camp. Uh, yeah, I've been in touch for, with Dylan's camp, but no, no feedback, no flack. Um, I, I was a little worried about that because people are, you know, these people, most, a lot of them haven't talked, practically none of them in such depth. I was like, oh, you know, he's so insular. But yeah, I mean, as you say, the book is not worshipful, but I think it is, people are mostly positive. You know, even even Duke, he was so bitter at the time, but you talk to him now 10 years later, he's like, look, it was it's true. Time Out of Mind was yeah. great. And even my touring, it was great for a month. And then it was absolutely horrible for like one week. And so, you know, I, I think overall it portrays a picture of Dylan that is mercurial for sure. Hard to understand at times for sure, but fairly positive. Now, again, a lot of the artists in your book, most of them are artists who've played on stage with Bob, Noel, Paul Stuckey of Peter, Paul and Mary, the great Jim Keltner, etc., I'm curious about Jeff Bridges. <laughs> when he did this show, I waited, Ray. I waited to ask about coaching Bob 
to act on camera and mask an anonymous. I like I said, I'm going to get 20 minutes in, then I'm going to go to Bob questions with Jeff Bridges. What was your experience and, and what made you want to include his take on Dylan in this book? Yeah, I, he's not someone I ordinarily would have because the goal of the book is what it's like to play music with Bob Dylan. Right. And I'm like, all right, Jeff Bridges is an actor. I didn't. The goal of the book does not. What's it like to act with Bob Dylan? But right. I read this this very brief anecdote he gave a few years ago in an interview, I think to Rolling Stone or somewhere where he mentioned that on the Mastin Anonymous set, there was a lot of downtime, you know, people seeing their trailers. And one day he gets a knock on his trailer door. It's Bob Dylan. Bob's carrying a guitar. He says, want to jam. And Bridges, you know, he can play. He, he, he did some stuff. Crazy Heart. People probably know that he, he can play. So he ended up jamming and playing music with Dylan. And that's when I thought, all right, so now this guy fits in the actor side. I'll I definitely want to know about. But it's really the playing music with him off stage in Mastin Anonymous that I'm most fascinated by. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what did, what surprised you? Just that it's something like that. Bob Dylan is there to act, but it's like he can't not play music even during this downtime when he could sit in his trailer and i don't know watch tv or make phone calls or do whatever the heck he wants to do he's like walking around with his guitar looking for someone to play with just the two of them there's no audience you know it's sort of it's amazing i mean you think of him on the road again nine ten months a year every single year he doesn't need the money lord knows he just has to be creating and has to be making music and i find that so fascinating you know, um, I'm curious what has been uh, the response to you, including uh, your interview with um, the legendary Soy Bomb from the 98 Grammys, Michael Portnoy, in the book. That's I was there that night when he jumped on stage during Dylan's performance. Were you really? Yeah, oh right before Bob won Album of the Year. And he was, of course, famous for a minute there and has, has you know, dined out on it for quite a while. I'm sure your interview on the uh, on the Substack was very popular with uh, with your readers. Could that be the reason? <laughs> I, the soy bomb is book exclusive. That one didn't come oh, on the okay. Substack. Um, yeah, he, I mean, I joke in the intro that he's the uh, he's the only Bob Dylan collaborator that Bob Dylan did not intend or want to collaborate with. <laughs> he sort of collaborated at Bob Dylan, uh, which I which I find fascinating. And like, if you watch the video, I think it really rose Bob to another level because Dylan does this guitar solo sort of as Soy Bomb is there and then after and like what what is it was already a good performance really becomes yeah. becomes fiery. And so, yeah, I was like, you know, the the meat and potatoes of the book is like band members, people who played with Bob for five or 10 years in the 60s or the 80s or the 2000s, whatever. Like, yeah, I wanted some oddball ones. And who is more oddball to get in there than Soy Bomb? <laughs> well done, sir. I mean, it's a it's a really delightful read. Um, I, I would be most remiss, Mr. Padgett, while I have you, if I didn't uh, ask you about our friend Sinead O'Connor. Um, I was there at the uh, Dylan Tribute Show in 92. Uh, very young me had scored a backstage pass that night when um, when the crowd booed her. And, uh, you know, I, I saw her live many, many times. You've written about her very eloquently over the years. How do you feel knowing that we're not going to get to see her live anymore? It's devastating. I mean, it's funny that something, on the one hand, it shouldn't be a surprise in the sense that, you know, sadly, when she's been in the news the past few years, it's often for sort of upsetting things, but it just hit me like a ton of bricks yesterday. And it it's sad also in the Dylan context that like her sort of interaction with Dylan World at that Bob Fest thing you went to was so negative and painted yeah. Bob Dylan fans in such a terrible light. You know, this yeah. was after the Pope thing. They after the a Pope ripping up and they booed her. 
yeah and they booed her she doesn't even sing her song um and it was she was gonna do you can find this on youtube but she was gonna do the speaking of the christian era the song i believe in you exactly um, and you, there is a rehearsal tape out there and it sounds phenomenal it's such a beautiful performance and it's just i was rereading the passage in her excellent memoir she wrote a couple pages about that and just feeling betrayed by Dylan fans primarily by Dylan himself a little bit because yeah. he didn't you know really do or say anything and it's just you know in sort of a a life filled with a number of heartbreaks it's, it's too bad that her interaction with the Dylan world didn't it go was better just, uh, you know I I got to meet her that night before the show and I I thanked her as the child of a couple of Catholic clergy for what she had done um, and she seemed shocked by that and then you know the worst thing about it being in the crowd was that you kind of knew those people booing her weren't doing it because they were devout Catholics. You know, they weren't doing it because of their loyalty to the Pope. They were doing, they were, they were there to honor the greatest protest singer of all time and not realizing the ironic hypocrisy of booing the most controversial protest singer in the world of the moment. But I, I, I want you to know there were thousands of people, and you can hear it on the, on the tape, thousands who were cheering her. And I've always thought that if she had started to do the song, the crowd would have let her finish. I mean, especially when you hear when you hear that rehearsal, it's so beautiful and moving that I, I hope you're right. But sadly, we'll never know. She did release the uh, studio version as a B-side, and it's 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 just gorgeous. And of course, we know that she had mostly recorded um, another album for a release last year and was planning on another tour. And then, of course, her son tragically died 18 months ago, and that was all shelved. Are you hopeful that we will see this studio recording eventually be released? I'd love to. I mean, I, the funny thing is I got into her from her later albums, her last couple, this 2012 album, How About I Be Me and You Be You, and then there was I, one in 2014. So, like, I'm not, you know, when, when Nothing Compares to You came out, I was like five. I, she's not yeah. a 90s artist for me. She's like a 2010s artist. Um, so I'd be, just a couple years ago, you know, I did this cover site you mentioned. She did this amazing like Black Lives Matter themed cover of Trouble of the World, the Mahalia Incredible. Jackson gospel Incredible. song. Incredible incredible and again this is if you read the news there's it's constant you know terrible things but then she gets behind a microphone and it's so powerful and that's just like you know two years ago so i would be fascinated with any recordings that are sitting on the shelves i'd love to i'm hear. so glad you said that because you have covered so many of her covers and she did so many great ones uh, over the years and and you know so many great dylan covers i mean her live version of gotta serve somebody is wonderful and I was always really kind of, kind of uh, brokenhearted that even though it was Bob's event, even though she sang a Bob Marley song at a Bob tribute show and Bob had every right to be annoyed, um, it always broke my heart that he didn't stand up for her and that Chris Christopherson was the one to step in and do that. And, and I guess Willie Nelson, too, because Willie Nelson invited her to duet with him that night on Don't Give Up. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, as with everything, Dylan, he's mercurial and hard to figure out. But it is a shame. I mean, it is nice that she forgave him. Um, to the extent she was annoyed, you know, in later years, she kept covering his song. She even dedicated her book to him in part, yeah. you know, so there's there's a lot. She's had a lot of nice things to say about Dylan in later years. But I think that was a, a sad moment all around. Absolutely. Um, and yet it's a moment that is proven her greatness because she was proven right about everything. Uh, Ray, it is it is such a great pleasure to have you here. I got to ask you one more question. You've heard the rumors that uh, Bob may be done touring or may just do one more. There is a big McCartney rumor out there, too, to the same effect. Um, I always thought Bob was just going to 
die on stage like David Olney did, you know, just keep on playing uh, for the rest mm-hmm. of time. What do you what do you make of the rumor that the Rough and Rowdy Ways tour through 2024, it was announced, might be the final? Yeah, it's hard to know what to think about that. I mean, when they first announced it, as you say, and this is what fall of 2021, it said on the poster until 2024. And that's not something he's ever done before. He's never, I mean, he almost never gives a tour a name. And he certainly doesn't put an end date three years in the future. I mean, that's like right. you know, Elton John sort of. Never. Here's my farewell tour. And then, the, so that was bizarre. I mean, I, I'm still so, mostly, I think, in your mindset that he has spent, other than the pandemic, basically most of every single year since 1988. I mean, we're talking 35 years. He spent basically all of them on the road. It's hard for me to think he's just desperate now to kick back and relax. I mean, he could have done that at any point. So I'm I'm certainly very curious. It had me a little worried, but I'm trying to stay optimistic um, <laughs> that, that 2024 will not for sure be the final year. Ray, it is such a pleasure to have you back on the show. I could literally talk to you about this and the musicianship for hours. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with all your doings? Oh, well, thank you. Um, the newsletter, if you're a Dylan nut like I am, is called Flagging Down the Double E's. Um, it's on Substack. It goes out about all sorts of Dylan stuff. And then, uh, at least for now, I'm on Twitter at RayFP. At least for now. The book, once again, is called Pledging My Time, Conversations with Bob Dylan Band Members. It's not just a great read. It makes a terrific gift for the fan of good music in your life. Ray Padgett, thank you so much for coming back on our show. Thanks so much for having me, John. 